On this episode of Blue 58, Brian Gutekunst is busy again. The Packers have made five roster moves already this week, and they've still got an open roster spot, so there's more on the way. Let's break down them all before we try to figure out what's wrong with Aaron Rodgers. Plus, why Ted Thompson is absolutely deserving of a spot in the Packers Hall of Fame, and pretending otherwise is insane. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here today. I hope you have recovered from the disappointment of Sunday night and gotten a little bit of sleep because, well, the NFL calendar moves on. And this is one of those weeks where I'm really excited that we move to this multiple episodes per week schedule because there's a lot going on. And if we had waited until now to try to break down the Patriots game, there would have just been too much to fit in. But this, we get to take a step back look at what's going on with the Packers already this week, and then dive into some stuff a little bit more in depth. I think it's a it's just a better show that way, and I hope you agree, because we've got a lot to cover today. Five roster moves, as I said up top, let's go dive right in. Starting with one that already feels like ancient history, the Packers adding safety Ibrahim Campbell earlier this week, 5'10", 5'11", 210 pounds or so. Let's just go through the bio because it's an extensive one already and he hasn't been in the league all that one. Here's from the official Packers.com news release. Uh, Campbell was originally selected in the fourth round, 115th overall of the 2015 NFL Draft by the Cleveland Browns out of Northwestern. In addition to the Browns and the Jets, he has played for the Houston Texans and the Dallas Cowboys, appearing in 43 games with 11 starts in his first four years in the NFL. He's probably overdrafted, and this is the part where we move off schedule from the Packers.com news release, so don't read a whole lot into the fact that he was a fourth-round pick. A lot of scouts had him pegged as more of a sixth, seventh-round pick, maybe a priority free agent, so fourth-round probably a little bit high for them. Plus, it was the Browns that drafted him, so you can't put a whole lot of stock into that. I would have thought that he would be just a special teams guy while the Packers kind of just sort out their safety group a little bit, except for what all happened today. The Packers cut a safety. They bid farewell to Geronimo Allison, at least for the time being. They promoted a project from the practice squad and signed a clone from a guy they already have on the active roster. One by one, let's break down each of these. So Jermaine Whitehead is gone. And the moral of this story, we'll just give it away right off the top, is just don't do stuff, don't do dumb stuff in the Brian Gutekunst era. Two weeks in a row now, he has... Um, shown that he has no patience for guys that are going to screw up and make game-altering mistakes for the Packers. Last week, it was Ty Montgomery. This week, it's Jermaine Whitehead. Aaron Jones' name has been thrown out there a little bit too. If you can't see the difference between what Whitehead did and what Montgomery did and what Jones did, I just don't have any time for you to explain why they're different. If you can't figure that out on your own, I'm sorry. That's uh, your problem. <laughs> but uh, safety stuff, more to the point, the safety group is still in a weird spot. Uh, Tremont Williams is back there now, though not in a full capacity. The newly acquired Ibrahim Campbell. Uh, there's the slightly banged up Kentrell Bryce. There's the mysterious and possibly disappointing Josh Jones. And then there is undrafted free agent Raven Green. Not exactly great. And in a normal well, normal years, maybe not the right way to say it. In a different year, I wouldn't think that Bryce, or excuse me, Whitehead's departure is that big of a deal. But given the state of the Packers' defense, I would have thought that even if that was such a dumb choice, and it was, 
to lash out at a guy that had clearly started stuff with you. I think you probably just move on and figure it out from there. So I wonder if there's not more to this story that we haven't quite heard yet. I don't have any evidence for that, but that seems like a lot just for this. So I don't know. We'll figure it out. Well, maybe we won't. But it this is not a great safety group right now, and it's a little bit puzzling to see Whitehead Whitehead cut. But I think it is consistent with what Gudikins did last week. Also clearing the active roster today or leaving the active roster today is Geronimo Allison, and it could be for good for Geronimo Allison. I know he can potentially come back later this year, but there are a number of mitigating factors there. First and foremost, he has to get ready, get better after the surgery he's likely going to have on his injured groin. Then the Packers have to make it deep enough to, into the playoffs where bringing him back is a realistic possibility. Then they actually have to bring him off of injured reserve. And to do that, they have to decide that one of the guys they already have on IR isn't worth bringing back either. You follow all of that? Because what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of stuff between now and Geronimo Allison getting back to the active roster that has to break his way. This offseason, Geronimo Allison is a restricted free agent, and I think it's a fairly open question as to whether or not they tender him at all, and if they do, what level they tender him at. I think there's a reasonable case for not tendering Geronimo Allison at all, given the resources they've pumped into the wide receiver position, but it's never a bad thing to have options around, and having a guy around who has shown himself to be a relatively productive, decent player is never Never a bad idea. And, you know, depth can disappear in a hurry in the NFL. So maybe you bring him back and let the position sort itself out in training camp next year. Who knows? It's still a bit of a disappointment for Allison. Well, for him personally, I'm sure. But for, I guess, people who follow the team and, and talk about the team, given the way that he started this year. So that's a little bit little bit frustrating there. But I think the, uh, the emergence of Marquez Valdez-Scantling and to a lesser extent, Equinemius St. Brown have made this a much easier decision than it otherwise would have been. To fill one of those two spots in the 53-man roster, the Packers have promoted cornerback Will Redmond, once thought to be a pretty elite corner prospect heading into the 2015 draft. He was thought to be maybe one of the better corners in that draft, but uh, he's had a bunch of injuries since then, had some injuries in college, and he's been on the Packers, Packers practice squad as a result since uh, September 11th. I'm not really sure what he offers beyond, you know, mere special teams stuff at this point, but it never hurts, hurts to have, it never hurts to have depth at corner. And, you know, highly regarded guys don't become bad football players. You just wonder where he falls in the pecking order among, you know, other prospects. He's not the elite athlete type of like a Tony Brown, but he was thought to be a very good prospect back in the day, so it never hurts to have a guy like that around. Who knows? We'll see. Finally, the clone, Brady Sheldon. Uh, interesting prospect here. Six feet, five inches tall, mid-230s, um, kind of without a firm position. Teams have tried to make him into an outside linebacker, but he's really not bulky enough to be like a 3-4 outside linebacker type. With his athleticism, though, you are tempted by his prospects at that spot and also as an off-the-ball linebacker. Small school guy, went to Ferris State, a small enough school that he had to go to Central Michigan's Pro Day leading up to the draft. 
uh, and did well there. Ran a 4.5340. He says he ran a 4.47, had a 37-inch vertical and a 10-foot 5-inch broad jump. Not bad there. But he has played all over the place. Here's a quote from his days with the Oakland Raiders. Quote, I was a nickel strong safety guy in college. Then the Raiders moved me to strong side linebacker, which is a glorified defensive end. I weighed 230. Bruce Irvin and Shalik Calhoun are 260, 265. I felt a little underweight, but I felt I could use my speed. And basically, it was a little rough putting my hand in the dirt. End quote. Who does that sound like? Uh, I'll give you one guess. And if you guess anybody other than Kyler Fackrell, you're thinking about it too hard. He's basically a clone of Kyler Fackrell. Big, long, lanky guy. Very athletic probably a little bit undersized to play the position that he's at, but he's athletic enough that it's worth taking a look. And as it seems like I say each and every week now, this keeps with Brian Gutekunst's apparently guiding principle. If you're going to be a fringe roster guy, you'd better be a freak athlete. Let's talk about Bruce Irvin just a little bit there. Came up kind of coincidentally in that quote by, uh, by Mr. Sheldon. Now a unrestricted free agent after passing through waivers. Bit of an odd situation for Irvin. I get the sense, well, I don't even get the sense. We know that the Raiders were shopping him last week. But then when they didn't get a deal for him, um, he had to wait until late in the week to be released and went through waivers on Monday. Nobody claimed him because he's owed in the neighborhood of $4 million this year and would have been paid $9 million next year. And that's a lot for a guy that's at the position of he's in in his career, you know, being on the back side of it. I don't think that's an insult to say about him. He's, it's just kind of a reality. I think he would acknowledge that. Um, but now the rumor mill starts, and there's a couple parts to this. First, Bruce Irvin gets connected to the Packers because Packers fans know who he is. Former first-round pick, you've heard of him. He's been in the news as a free agent. The Packers have played against the Seahawks a, a bunch of times, and he's been part of that. So on the one hand, there is just some built-in attraction there just because you know who this guy is. But the Packers also happen to need some of what Bruce Irvin can offer. And he has been an effective pass rusher throughout his career. Certainly, you would think he could be more effective than Reggie Gilbert has been, which has been an utter disappointment this year. Even if I think your standards were appropriately low, uh, or expectations rather, for Reggie Gilbert, I think even by those standards, he's been a, a pretty big disappointment this year. Certainly, he could be at least as good as Kyler Fackrell, and that would put him already into the top three edge rushers on the Packers. And you start talking about how good he could be compared to Nick Perry and Clay Matthews. It starts to look like a relatively attractive thing. But the Raiders didn't want him. And even if they couldn't find a trading partner... It's odd that they would go ahead and cut him. I understand saying, hey, we'd like to trade this guy and then cutting him if you can't find a dance partner in like August. But why now? It's not like he's been a problem guy for the Raiders. And even if they're tanking or quasi-tanking, I don't think Bruce Irvin is going to be the difference between them getting you know, a couple wins between now and the end of the season that would knock them out of a draft position. So why cut him? And that's the only thing that would give me a little bit of pause. Still, on, on balance, he can probably help the Packers. And if you know he's interested in coming to Green Bay, you could probably get him on at or around the veterans minimum, and it might be worth exploring. But I wouldn't hold my breath. Um, we'll see. Uh, Brian Gutekunst always says the Packers want to be in on every conversation. So maybe they'll be in on this one.
let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we dove into this a little bit late Sunday night, I guess technically early Monday morning, but Aaron Rodgers has not been good. And if you look at the New England game in particular, as we did on Sunday night, because that's who the Packers just played, you can see times when Aaron Rodgers, as good as he has been at points this year, has put the Packers in bad situations or has failed to execute at a level that could help the Packers win a game. A few examples. We pointed out four of them during the game that happened during the course of the game, the first half in particular. I want to return to two of them. On the Packers' first offensive drive, they're down in the red zone, have a little bit of an odd play-calling sequence, but their foray into the red zone ends with the Packers calling a screen for Randall Cobb on the left side of the formation. I thought at the time Aaron Rodgers may have checked into that himself. Whether or not he did is kind of immaterial because the execution of the play was bad. And the execution was bad because Aaron Rodgers didn't deliver an accurate pass on a relatively routine throw. Then on the Packers' second drive, Aaron Rodgers has Marquez Valdez-Scantling working deep one-on-one against a Patriots defender. And judging by the end result of the play, it appears that Valdez-Scantling had his man beat. But Rodgers slightly underthrows the ball. The pass is broken up. And the Packers don't end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. Both of those plays, I think, are plays that you could reasonably expect Aaron Rodgers to make. Or at least in both of them, they are the sort of plays where if Rodgers does his part of the job, the receiver is in a position where he can make a play. And this has become an alarming trend that if you look at the stats, really paints a pretty poor picture of where Aaron Rodgers has been so far this year. Let's look at those numbers. The raw ones, like completion percentage, are bad. Uh, He's currently hovering around 60% for the season, 60.6% in fact, which would be the lowest mark ever that he's had for a full season in, in his career. Over the past five games, he's completing 57.35% of his passes. Very bad. And in three of the last six games, his completion percentage has been at 56% or lower. Extremely bad for Aaron Rodgers. Passer rating. Rodgers has the highest career passer rating in NFL history, but this year not doing so hot. He's five points below his career average, and this would be the third time in four seasons that he's looking at a season rating below 100. Touchdown percentage. How often are your passes ending up in touchdowns? Well, he's currently at a career low pace with 4.6% so far this year. He's also fumbled six times in eight games, and that's become an increasing concern throughout the season. Rodgers not taking care of the ball there, and he is on on pace, in fact, to tie a career high for a full season with 12 fumbles. So what's happening with Aaron Rodgers? Why is he not playing well? I think there's one of two things going on here. First, it's possible that he's on pace, or in the midst rather, of a little bit of a slump, very similar to what happened to Rodgers and the Packers in the latter half of 2015 and in the first half of 2016. Through, or from week 8 of the 2015 season through week 6 of 2016, a 16-game span, Aaron Rodgers was pretty bad by relatively, by pretty much any standard, but certainly by his. He completed in that stretch 
under 60% of his passes, threw 29 touchdowns against 10 interceptions, had a passer rating of 85.6, and fumbled 13 times. Predictably, the Packers did not do all that well in that stretch, and he did bounce out of it, though. Um, Just a couple weeks before the the run-the-table run started, Rodgers really started playing better. And from week 7 of 2016, through his collarbone injury in 2017, Rodgers was pretty much back to being capital A, capital R, Aaron Rodgers. In a 17-game stretch, he threw 43 touchdowns against six interceptions, all the yards, all the completion percentage, all of that was back up near his his normal levels. Then he injures his collarbone, and it's been fairly ugly, ugly since then. He played one game after that collarbone injury. You can kind of throw that one out, but this year it's been it's been real inconsistent. Part of that may have to do with his knee, but not all of it. And you can't just looking at the way he's been playing, I would have a hard time blaming all of his performance issues on just the knee. There's something that's not right there with the way that he's throwing the ball. And it makes you wonder, wonder why. Are the injuries adding up? Is he less recovered from the knee injury than even he is He is letting on? And I think he's been fairly open with how he feels and saying that he feels pretty good. I don't know. But I think there is another possibility that runs a little bit deeper. This is one that we touched on a few weeks back, and I think it's one that's becoming increasingly likely as the season goes on. And it's simply that Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust Mike McCarthy and the scheme that Mike McCarthy runs. The scheme, I will go on record saying again, the scheme is fine, but watching Aaron Rodgers play I think you can conclude that he doesn't trust the scheme. What's the difference there? Well, if the scheme was bad, you wouldn't see guys getting open ever, and the Packers wouldn't be able to produce successful offense at at any juncture, regardless of how Aaron Rodgers is playing. And we haven't really seen that. There have been times when the Packers have played extremely well on offense, and it's not just because Aaron Rodgers is in two-minute mode or has the God mode switch on. It's this the scheme is working, and when they're executing well, you can see the scheme work. The difference is Rodgers not trusting the scheme leads to things slowing down and generally bogging down. And when Aaron Rodgers slows down and bogs down, he gets, at least lately, ultra conservative. Aaron Rodgers has always been a risk averse quarterback. But this season, it seems like he's taking fewer risks than ever. According to Pro Football Focus, such as they are, he is on pace to break the their record for throwaway passes in a season. So a, a pass that you just throw out of bounds to get it away from the defense. That was leading into or leading into this past week, he was on pace to um, shatter their record in a single season um, after the Rams game. He was on pace to throw 73 over the course of this year's 16-game season. Their previous record for a single year is 46. So Rodgers just throwing the ball away, trying to keep it out of trouble. He's also, you know, throwing fewer interceptions than ever. Just 0.3% of his passes this year have ended in interceptions, which is good. But it also shows that Rodgers, again, is taking fewer risks. Why is this a problem? Well, Throwing or playing conservative like this doesn't necessarily hurt the Packers, but it takes them out of games by 
limiting their opportunities to score. And I think there's a couple late drives where Rodgers, in part because of issues with scheme, and this is where the waters get muddy, um, but late in the game, Rodgers threw away a couple passes rather than try to force something into coverage and get something going. I think in particular about the uh, the last or the, the second-to-last offensive drive the Packers had is the drive after the Aaron Jones fumble. The Packers get the ball back and meekly kind of go three and out. There's a couple plays there where Rodgers just didn't look like he was ready to get the ball out, and when he did, it, it was not crisp and on time and just looked a little bit meh. And you, didn't, you don't expect to see that kind of stuff from Aaron Rodgers. So how does he break out of it? If Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust McCarthy, can he start trusting him again? I don't know if this is the sort of thing that gets restored over the course of a season or ever, but I think in the short term, McCarthy has to let go a little bit and let Aaron Rodgers just kind of be what he is while putting him in situations where he can just do the Aaron Rodgers things that you know he can do. In a practical sense, I think that looks like simplifying the offense because as many people have pointed out, one of the things that you're seeing go wrong with the Packers offense right now is it takes them so long to get a playoff. And I think part of that is because Aaron Rodgers is fine-tuning the offense at the line, trying to get everybody into the exact right position. If they simplified the offense and just let Aaron Rodgers execute, for better or for worse, let him try to make plays, maybe that solves some of your issues. And if Rodgers has nobody to trust but himself, putting him in a situation where he can just do those Aaron Rodgers things might be the best thing for the team. I don't think that's a long-term solution because you do need to be able to run an offense and have your quarterback and coach be on the same page. So that leads to the ultimate conclusion of maybe it's time for Mike McCarthy to go. That's not a discussion I want to have right now, but I think that is is something that is going to be on the table. Because at the end of at the end of the day, to do a Mike McCarthy quote, this is going to come down to your $130 million quarterback versus your head coach going into his 14th season, potentially as a lame duck if they don't extend his contract again after this year. And in those situations, every time you're going to side with the expensive quarterback. What do I want you to take away from this? Well, I'm not exactly sure. And I realize that's a weird thing to say at the end of a topic. But I think it's important to realize that as much as Mike McCarthy is getting knocked for his scheme, and there are issues with the scheme, it's important to realize that Aaron Rodgers isn't playing well. And for the Packers to salvage anything out of this season, that's the easiest way for the Packers to get back on track is just Aaron Rodgers playing better, whatever the reason, whether it's an injury or not executing or him not trusting Mike McCarthy, whatever it is, Aaron Rodgers needs to play better if the Packers are going to even approach being the kind of team that they can be. Whether they're a contender or not doesn't really matter at this point. But for them to play like the best version of the team that they are, they need more out of Rodgers. While I've got you here, let's talk about Ted Thompson for a second. Ted Thompson, the Packers announced today, is going to be inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame. 
that seems a little bit fast, just given how these things have gone in the past, but that's an entirely different issue. I know this is probably not a preaching to the choir a little bit, because I think if you're listening to this show and you know the way that I like to do this show, you are probably fairly sympathetic to Ted Thompson. And if you are, I commend you, because that is the correct perspective. I would like to talk for a second about the people who don't believe that Ted Thompson is worth inducting into the Packers Hall of Fame. Because he absolutely is. He made decisions that were tough. He made decisions that made the Packers consistently better over the life of his time in Green Bay. If you look back at where the Packers were when he took over in 2005, it was not pretty. And he got the Packers to an NFC Championship game within three seasons. His roster did that. He hired the guy who saved the end of Brett Favre's career. He hired the guy that made Aaron Rodgers what he is today. He took Aaron Rodgers when the Packers still had a Hall of Fame quarterback capable of playing at a high level, even though he wasn't. He built the Packers into a team that could contend year in and year out, and he was two plays away from having a legitimate shot at appearing in three Super Bowls. If not for Brett Favre throwing that interception in overtime against the New York Giants, if not for Brandon Bostic doing what he did in 2014, or HaHa Clinton Dix doing what he did in 2014, or A.J. Hawk doing what he did in 2014, the Packers would have been in the Super Bowl that, those times. Would they have won either of those games? Who knows? In 2007, I think it's kind of unlikely. In 2014, it's anybody's guess. Uh, I think there's a good chance the Packers could have won that game. It would have been a good Super Bowl. And that adds an entire different layer of debate about who the best quarterback ever is, which is stupid still, as we talked about last week. But Ted Thompson probably should have been in at least one more Super Bowl for things that are entirely out of his control. But even if all of that is not worth putting him into the Packers Hall of Fame. Consider this. If you are the sort of person who is inclined to lionize Ron Wolf while denigrating Ted Thompson, consider this. After appearing in back-to-back Super Bowls, Ron Wolf's Packers teams went through three head coaches over the the rest of his time there, won the division just once in the next five years, missed the playoffs twice in the next five years, and never got past the divisional round for the rest of his tenure. And Ron Wolf, with that on his resume, is in the Professional Football Hall of Fame. Not the Packers Hall of Fame, the big one in Canton, which isn't as good as the Packers Hall of Fame, but it's still important. He's got a bust there. If you can put him in Canton and you can't put Ted Thompson in the Packers Hall of Fame Don't put anyone in the Packers Hall of Fame because it's not worth it. He did so much for this franchise. And the reason you can even have the discussion about wasting the best quarterback ever, which is asinine, is because of Ted Thompson. He made that a conversation. Without him, that doesn't even happen. You don't even have a good team to complain about without Ted Thompson. I will step back off of my soapbox now. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get a hold of us, you can reach us at thepowersweep.com. 
and on Facebook and on Twitter and via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you are so inclined, support us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar a month there helps us keep the lights on at this podcast and helps generally support what we do here. If you'd like to look good while you support us, check out our t-shirts at teespring.com. Click the store link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. And as always, the freest and easiest way to support us is by leaving a review on iTunes. No pressure, but it is absolutely free. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm John Meerdink, your host. We will see you next time right here on Blue 58.